All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Straight Out of Prison Podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And I am Haley Jones, and this is his story that has now become a part of my story. So it's our story. It's our story. I love our story. <laughs> Stories are powerful. Me too. It's good stuff. So in the last episode, that was one of the most difficult ones for me to to record. Actually, uh, you know, going to Donaldson... Them trying to turn me into a prison wife and then spending six months in lockup. It's pretty rough. Uh, that's been, what, 23 years ago, 24 years ago now? And just having to go back to and reprocess that was very depressing. So um, but I think it's good like to get that stuff out. But it has not been – those have those just been hard to do. But this one – uh, we're tying this one Donaldson Correctional Facility because I got to a place where I realized that the only way out was through. I didn't realize it. I feel like Jesus spoke that to me. Like, I have something for you here. Let's go. So I'm moving back into general population at probably the most violent prison in the state of Alabama. And I was scared. I was nervous. I had all the emotions going along with it. And it was tough. It's crazy. So you got into what you said, the most dangerous prison in Alabama. You were there for not even a full day where you... Hours. Hours where yeah. you, someone tried to make you their prison wife, which means they tried to rape you, basically. Yeah. And then from there, within hours, they put you in lockdown. And then you stayed in lockdown for six plus months. So now this is just a re-entering into... Yeah, that, the like you said, the what what did you call it? The main, the main what facility? It's not the main, <laughs> the main facility. facility. <laughs> the the yeah. dorm, the regular dorm. Yeah, just move back into population. Yeah, for the first time since that horrible situation happened. Yeah, so I'd I'd spend a whole the whole summer, spring, summer, and half the winter, half the fall in lockdown. Okay, so take me to the hour the moment when you're leaving your lockdown cell and going back up to general population i was scared i was probably more scared after being in lockdown because i heard all the stories and there were people there that had been raped there were people there that had been you know i had a cell partner for a little while they like beat him down and stomped his eye out do you mean you heard more stories when you were in lockdown of things that have been happening there 
Yeah. That's okay. What, okay. Yeah. Isn't just, that what I said? <laughs> I was just being clear because sometimes you're not clear. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's why. That's why God gave me you. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So um, I'd, I'd heard so many other stories, and basically the rules there was you had to you had to stab somebody. You had to like. Remember my story from BCI where I had to hit somebody? And yeah. I, I think I almost got knocked out. Well, I remember you mentioning that, you know, I think maybe on the ride to Yeah, the, Kilby. the, the old-timer. Yeah. The old-timer, the ride from Kilby. The old-timer told me that um, I needed a knife. Right. Oh, right. That was it. Okay, so you're walking back up. I'm going back up. So they put me back in, I think it was exactly the same block that I was in for that few hours. But while I was gone in lockup, they had started a thing, some kind of drug program at Donaldson. And so one side of one block was the drug program. It was a really detailed. And then the other side was you're waiting to get in the drug program. So it wasn't quite as violent. So they put me in there like they were trying to get me to go in the drug program. And I was like, I've already been through a drug program. I got the certificate. I'm not doing that again. But that was where they decided to put me for just for me to figure it out. And walking in there, it's uh, it's hard to explain those blocks at Donaldson. They are so depressing and dark, and there's just nothing but just like concrete and steel. And I got my room assignment, and I go in, and once again, my roommate is a sissy. So I'm like, well, gosh, I feel like everything. That, that I've been through over the last six months, I'm just starting it over. Mm. So it was, uh, it was very hard, very depressing, but I just tried to keep putting one foot in front of the other. But it was so confusing for me was because there's nothing to do there. It's like uh, the dorms at West Jefferson or Donaldson, they're very similar to the county jail because they just lock you in that block. And you you do get to walk down to the chow hall and eat. They don't let you go out in the yard. They don't. You just you just stuck. And I had a cell partner who was an older man, but he dressed up like a woman. And that you know, it just I don't know. It just I was freaked out. And then like the cell there, like he was burning incense. And I mean, he was nice, but um, it was just. I don't know. It's just it's just hard. It's hard to accept the reality of yeah. that. And there was so much. Uh, it was it was just it's just bad. I mean the whole and the whole uh, the the prison family thing, the whole sex thing that all that was going on in there, and I was having to see it, and it was just it was tough. So what next? What did you do? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I was uh, I was stuck there for for a few days. Like I didn't know what to do. Like what I do with my time. I, didn't, I mean, I kept studying the Bible, doing everything I've been doing, and I saw a guy that was reading the Bible. I, I pulled up on him. We started talking. His name was George, and he gave me the G, the prison Jesus test. <laughs> what in the world is that? They just ask you all these questions about what you believe. Uh, do you believe Jesus and Baptist? You know, all the things. And he couldn't trip me up on any of the, uh, the questions. Yeah, because I'd been, you know, by that time I was pretty sharp with my with my little, you know, knowledge or whatever you called it. But I think the most, the thing that depressed me the most was I would meet men there 
who'd been locked up longer than I'd even been alive. And I would question them, you know, what have you been doing? Like, what have you been doing with your time all the time? And most of them would say the same thing. Oh, you know, playing dominoes, drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes. And it just felt like such a waste of, just a waste of life. Like, yeah. couldn't, you, couldn't you figure out something else to do? But a lot of people, there weren't many jobs there because it's a maximum security prison. And you just, you're just stuck. You're just there. You're just passing time, just doing nothing, basically. But in, in that season, I guess, I just, I didn't have anything else to do. So I felt like I just needed to figure out what was next and just do what was next. But I didn't know what was next. But I knew that I had had an experience with Jesus. I knew that God had a plan for my life, but I just couldn't see it working here where I was at at Donaldson. Cause this was, this place was like hell. When I say, Hell, I'm not exaggerating. It was like hell. But I had a narrative that kept going through my mind of a movie that my mom took me to see when I was a kid. It was uh, Officer and a Gentleman. You know that movie? I've heard of it. Remind me, though, because I'm not It's uh, It's like a love story between him, uh, Richard Gere, and Deborah Winger. But then it's like a redemption story for him because he he come from a really rough background and his his father was a uh, in the navy but like a you know low rank he wanted to be an officer and to be an officer you have to go through officer training school and uh he was not officer material and he went to uh officer training school and it's kind of like boot camp where they're trying to like you know like navy seals what navy seals but you know where they're just trying to put all the pressure on you to get you to quit. Mm-hmm. And he, he could do all the like physical stuff and mental stuff, but he had like character flaws. Like he was a hustler and he got in trouble for uh, something that he did. And the drill sergeant kept him back, wouldn't let him leave for the weekend. And basically just like made him uh, do a thousand pushups and, uh, scrub the floor with a Q-tip. I mean, just just all these things just to get him to quit. And he was pushing and pushing and pushing him, and he had him out doing push-ups in a mud puddle, and he was spraying him with water, and he just kept saying, yes, sir, doing the next thing. And um, he told him that he wanted him to quit. He told him, you know, you're not, you don't belong here. You're not officer material. I want, your, I want you out. And uh, he just broke down and started crying and said, I ain't got nowhere else to go. You know, I ain't got nothing else. This is all I got. I don't got nothing else to do. I ain't got nowhere else to go. And I've always loved that part of that movie, especially the end, because he made it through and he became an officer. But uh, what, what what about that connected? Like, why did you have that in your mind? What connected? You? We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, 
but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms, and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. Because I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't. Mm. The only thing I had to hold on to at that time was whatever Jesus had for me and his plan for my life. I didn't have nowhere else to go. And I just felt like it was like, just just don't quit. Just keep putting one foot in front of your other. Keep trying and just see. And I'd had such a good experience with my spiritual life at Kilby because there were other people like trying to come along. And, you know, it was like. It happened in the Montgomery County Jail. It kind of spread. When I was at Kilby, it spread. When I got to Donaldson, it was like nothing. There was religious people there. <laughs> I mean, and the chapel there was so depressing. It was, oof. But then I met a guy. His name was Marvin Davis. He had been locked up for like 22 years. And wow. He was part of the hashtag Christian Brotherhood. And at Donaldson... What's the hashtag Christian Brotherhood? <laughs> They, they they call themselves the Christian. Did they bro- say hashtag? No. I oh, say that's that. okay. <laughs> there was no hashtag. Uh, I know. Well, I was. I didn't know. I'm making sure. <laughs> that would have just been a pound sign or a number sign. So, so the Christian Brotherhood. Yeah. Well, they okay. call themselves the Christian Brotherhood, but they were basically like you had like uh, different kind of gangs in running in Donaldson, and then you had the Christian Brothers, and they were like a gang. And I just, I didn't want any part, I didn't want a part of that. Like they were a gang in the sense that they were violent and manipulative, how you explained not, other groups? Not violent. They didn't do violence, but they stuck together, hung together, they protected each other, and they were like the moral police or something. Okay. It was it was weird because they would walk around talking about who was worldly, who wasn't worldly. He's saved. He ain't really saved. Oh, you can't be saved because you smoke cigarettes, or you can't be saved because you play dominoes. Just it's just it was just something I didn't want to be a part of. Right. Okay. But I got connected to a guy named Marvin Davis. He had been in prison for like twenty years, but he said he had an experience with Jesus where he got saved, and I believed what he said, but I didn't. There was like like no evidence of that because he was like mean, and he would. Walk up and down the halls, preaching all day, hollering at people, screaming, hollering, you're going to hell. (laughs) And I asked him, how long have you been doing this? And he said, like, seven years. And I said, well, in in seven years of screaming and hollering at people, doing it like that, have anybody, like, wanted to, like, come along? (laughs) And he had one guy, Julio, (laughs) that that came along. (laughs) No, Julio was, uh, he was African-American. He wasn't. Uh, there's not a lot of Hispanics okay. in uh, in Alabama. I don't know why. So Julio came along. Julio came along. So there's two of them that run around screaming, hollering at people, and they would get the Bible out and just tell. It's just it's just bad. It was not good. They were beating people with the Bible, like with their words. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it, it was it was ugly. It's not something I wanted to be a part of. And then um, Marvin felt bad. He was a captain's runner, so he could run up and down the hall. We couldn't. Marvin felt bad because the cell partner I had was doing things in the cell that he felt like was not good for me. And I didn't like it either. Don't get me wrong. But he said, you want me to get you moved in the cell with me? Cause I can get, I can make that happen. I work for the captain. So I was like, well, 
I was trying to decide, do I want to be in the cell with the guy that's doing the things that I don't like, or do I want to be in the cell with the guy that's going to beat me to death with a Bible <laughs> all the time? And so uh, I ended up, I got in the cell with Marvin. He actually ended up becoming a friend to me, and he softened up because we would, like, try to study together. But I would try to do Bible studies. I would try to, you know, pull people in, and it just wasn't happening there. Nobody wasn't having it. So it was just like, I'm in this this block with 96 men and it was just, it was just harsh and hard. And I, I can't, I can't even explain the, just, just trying to find my, just trying to find my way. Nothing was working there. Okay. So was there a breakthrough at any point? Well, I met two guys eventually next couple of weeks. Oh, in the few, okay. So on the drug dorm side, they could come over on our side cause it was the same one block. And I met this tall black guy. His name was Dominic Glover, and they called him Brother Love. <laughs> and he was kind of like if he was on if you did an enneagram on on on, on Glover, he'd probably be a seven because he was just like bubbly, kind of like Jamie Golden, just yeah, you know, everything. Yeah. Hey, but uh, he was in love with Jesus, and he was eager and wanted to learn, and you know. He he taught me songs, and we just had a lot of fun together. Did they just happen to be on the same block? Like, how did you run into them to even meet them? Uh, I think I probably met them when I went to chapel. Okay, the depressing chapel. Oh, the chapel there was rough. Yeah. I mean, it was rough, rough, rough. It was, uh, I don't even know if we want to talk about that right now. Okay, well, yeah, let's stay on the, you had a little breakthrough when you met Dominic Glover. Yeah, and then we he started. Was on Enneagram 7, you think. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, you would I'm, guess. I'm sure of it now. Even though you're not supposed to diagnose, but you can do that since they're not here. But well, yeah. I think I'm an Enneagram one, and Enneagram sevens make ones feel better. Right. When you're when I'm around a seven, my spirits lift. Like I feel like yeah. Charlotte Guffin or uh, anyways. I'm talking I know. about yes. people. Okay, um, let's come back to why this was a breakthrough for you when you met these two. Or well, I did met, you say two people? You, yes, but I didn't get to the second okay, person. Go ahead. So I met I met Dominic Glover. And then he started coming over. We started studying together. And then I met Chris Townsend. He ended up being one of my best friends, like, for life. Uh, he was a little bit younger than me, but he his story was so tragic. But it was like he had found a way to turn it around. His dad was like, a, uh, like one of those people that never had a home. What do you call that? Like a vagabond? transient i want to say i get like he yeah, would just I'm not sure. he just roamed around yeah just roamed around three or four states and his mom left him when he was little and he got in trouble when he was like 17 and he got arrested in bay Manette down in south alabama where he's from mm-hmm. and when it was arrested for like something stupid like something minor something that wasn't even a big deal but they no, he didn't have anybody to bond him out because he didn't really have a lot of family and he planned an escape at 17 i think he was 18 and he planned an escape and he took over he like took over the jail in bay Manette where he's from and not by himself like he like rallied the troops you know like all the other inmates and they <laughs> took over the jail they didn't get out but they almost did and it was a big deal you don't you know you don't do that so they sentenced him for that, plus his little minor crime, he ended up 
they sent him to St. Clair because it was an escape, make sure security max. Yeah. And when he was at St. Clair, he was there for like two or three years. And the whole time he was planning his escape. Like he, <laughs> he was just going to get out. He wasn't going to be in prison. Yeah. And uh, I forget exactly how the story goes, but it's the famous, like, among inmates, the story is famous. They call him Lionheart because of what he did. <laughs> He planned another escape with a bunch of other inmates, and this is a max camp where you got people that have life without parole. Right. Like, so it ain't hard to find somebody. Like, well, let's do it. Um, and they actually stole a fire truck and ran it through, ran it through the fence. And okay, how do you steal a fire truck if you're in prison? Uh, some for some reason the fire truck was in one of the gates or something. I don't know the actual details of the story, but they ran it through. And got it through one of the fences, but not through two of the fences. So then they sent him to West Jefferson and put him in lockup. And he got out of lockup and was trying to, you know, navigate that life. That's a hard life at, at Donaldson. It's it's a hard life. Well, you did it for. Oh, it's a hard life. But six he, plus months. He yeah. was he was trying. No, when he got out. Oh, okay, okay. Of lockup, he was in general population. Yeah. And it was just he was it was hard. He didn't have any support from the outside. And there's a group of Mennonites that come down in the prison at West Jefferson every January, and they stay for a week. And they come in every day. There's like 50 of them. They just flood the prison, and they don't carry Bibles. They don't fuss at you. They just try to love on you. And he sat down with one of these guys, and he told him, like, that, you know, that Jesus loved him. He had a plan for him. And he gave, he had an experience with Jesus sitting on a bench there. And this had been about six months before I met him and it changed his whole life. And he reminded me so much of myself because he was in, he was in a dark, he was in a dark place. Like there were, he told me, I'm not going to tell the story. He told me he was in, he was in, he was having it rough. Why, why aren't you going to tell the story? Because that's you. his business. I okay. mean, you can you know you can imagine. Yeah. You know what he was dealing with, um, but he was a fighter, and you know, he. Uh, but he 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 reminded me of myself because it was like the way his life flipped, and he really he had Jesus on the inside of him. He had a, a real experience, and he was studying the Bible, and I was studying the Bible. And we, I don't think it took us five minutes to become best friends because he, uh, he started trying to trip me up with scriptures. And so I was like, keep it coming, you know, what? And we, we would do that. We'd get in debates and go back and forth. And, um, we, we, we developed a fast friendship and he became like, for me in that place, he, him and Glover became like little lights for mm-hmm. me, like, there's some life here. I just got to figure it yeah. out. But then I started, they were in the drug program. Like Chris had went through the drug program and the the drug program they had then in Alabama was actually a good one because it was all like discipline and it wasn't like the drug program I've been in Florida. Mm-hmm. And he had learned a lot and he was, uh, had graduated and then was uh, like, um, like a leader. Like it was mostly ran by inmates, but okay. you had to like go through the program get all the details down and then do that. But that's what he was doing. So is this the drug program you're talking about? Is this the one that you're currently in right now? The one that you're talking about that he went through and became a leader? Yes. I wasn't in the drug program. Oh, okay. So drug program was on one side of one block, the right side of one block. 
I was on the left side of one block. Okay. I know this is confusing. So at, at, at Donaldson, every block has like a cube in the middle, a left side and a right side, and they're totally separated by bars and steel and concrete. Okay. But they're on the same hall. So if you're in one block, you're on the left side or the right side. The right side was the drug program. The left side was people that were candidates for the drug program. Oh, okay. So that's where they put me there, even though, you know, I was not, I wasn't thinking about, I'm not doing that again. I've already done that. So you were living on the side that you were a candidate for the drug program, and yes. he was had actually been through it. He'd been through it, graduated, and he was actually working for him, and was uh, pretty good at what he was doing. He, I mean, he's a good leader as far as, like, inmates and stuff. I mean, yeah. no, he's a leader in general. So what was next? I mean, it sounds like he was a leader if he was planning all these escapes and rallying the troops. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was leading He something. was leading it, but, he was, <laughs> but before that, he was doing it for not good. Right, yeah. Kind of like, you know, me and my cousin, we always did stuff for not good. If we could have turned that around and did something for good, we probably would have been, you know, we might have been governor or something. <laughs> <laughs> But uh Okay, it, so how did those two relationships help you move forward or what happened next, I guess? We just started the three of us, we became like the three musketeers. We started studying together. We started we would spend hours, you know, they had to work and I didn't they don't I didn't have a job, I didn't have anything to do. Why like, not? Why didn't you have a job? Or why weren't they giving you a job? There's not there's not jobs there. Oh, there wasn't jobs for everyone. I mean you, you said can that. there's yeah. a few um you have to be real lucky to get a job at Donaldson. And probably the best job was being a chapel worker. Mm-hmm. But there was only like, I think there was four or five of them. The chapel there was a trip. It was like its own little institution. The chaplain there, his name was Chaplain Lindsay. He was the one that came around every week and talked to me when I was in lockup. So I didn't have anything for him. Oh, because, yeah, he didn't really act like he cared at all about you. No, no, yeah. he, he did not. And then, uh, but he was also mean. He was so mean. And the stuff he would say, and then he's supposed to be the representative of Jesus for the, um, but anyways, but people told me later that he used to be a volunteer and loved inmates. And also then when he came to the chapel, he was just jaded by the time I got to him. And he was a good man, but I never had any warm fuzzies for him while I was there. And it took me about three or four years out of prison before I ever warmed up to him just because wow. he was so mean. And I, you don't, you know, they say you don't, you, you can forget what somebody says, you can get what they do, but you can't forget how they made you feel. Yeah. And he always made me feel like I wasn't, I wasn't the real deal. Yeah. Like you're not in, but he had, uh, three or four chapel work, chapel workers. And they were the ones that got to go back and forth. They got to eat food that we didn't get. And, you know, they, 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 they kept the chapel on lockdown and then I think the neatest thing that happened for me during that time, I went to a service, and remember I told you when I was at Kilby, there was like a re- two different religious people that came in, two different groups. One of them were more conservative, like Church of Christ, and then these people came in with all the suits on, and they were the Word of Faith people. Remember me talking about that a couple yeah. of back? Mm-hmm. Well, one of those guys that I met that was wearing the suits I actually met him at Donaldson again, uh, Gil Frank, you know Gil, Gil Franks yes. and Randy Walker. I met them at Donaldson during this time. They would come in, I think it was once a month they came in and did a chapel uh, service. And, uh, you know, they're still friends of mine to this day. 
um, yeah, which is neat. neat. Um, and Gil, Gil's listening, so hey, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> but I met them just trying to do one one thing after the next, and then the Christmas of 1997. Remember, I told you how beautiful my 1996 Christmas was. Yes. Uh, Christmas of 1997 was uh, none of that. It was pretty bleak. You know, it was just sad and just. I know I keep saying that. Yeah. I, 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 we need to move on from the sadness. Let's just say it was hard. This was hard. This was a hard, hard, hard time. Was it hard? Yes. <laughs> okay, so up to Christmas, how long had you been there at that point? In, at at West, Donaldson, oh, Do- Donaldson. I'd been at Donaldson since right after Easter. So what's that, like seven, eight months? Okay, so seven, eight months total. And then... There was a turn after the new year. I remember that being that when 1998 came around, I remember thinking, I'm the most depressed that I've ever been in my life, and I don't see a way out. And then I was getting bad news. You know, I still had the case in Shelby County. Then I found out they didn't give me my time served that the judge ordered. And it was like trying to fight all that. And you don't, you really don't fight those people. Like they don't care. We don't care. Right. You just you just shut up and do your time. And it just, just feeling, you know, I felt so helpless. And then I'm trying to connect to Jesus and pray. And it's like you said, I'm supposed to be here. You got something. What, you know, what is it? I don't see anything. I see nothing here but pain. And around the beginning of 1998, there was a little bit of a, I don't know if it was like an emotional, spiritual flip in my head. Like, you know, whatever I got to do, I'm just going to figure it out and do it. So there's a prison ministry that's called Kairos. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I have heard of it only because of you, but I guarantee you most people that are listening have not. What is it? It is a, they call it interdenominational, which it means everybody's welcome. I think it was started by the... Like Catholics, Protestants, everybody. All, everybody, they do this together. Okay. But it started as a retreat for people, you know, in the free world. It wasn't originally like a prisoner thing. And I think the Catholics call it something. I don't know. I forget the name. It's Crescia or something. Uh, So what is it? It's basically they take people out of the world for three days. Usually they go to a campground. You don't have phones. You don't have TVs. You don't have anything. And... The people put, it's like, they call it a walk because it's a three-day, the Methodists call it Emmaus, the Catholics call it Chrysia. It's the same, but it's the same thing. Okay. And it's basically you spend three days just like disconnecting from the world and trying to get spiritually closer to God. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's a powerful thing that they do. But they started doing it years and years and years ago in prison, and they named it Kairos because Kairos is a Greek word for time that's in the Bible. In the Greek language, there's like different, like we have one word for love. I love you because you're my wife. I love hot dogs, and I love dogs. Right. But in the Greek language, they had like five or six different words for love. So there's like agape and eros and you know, I don't want to get lost in that. But in, in the Greek, there's two words for time. There's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos time is like the calendar. It's just like just regular time. 
Kairos time was like a special time or special season, and it means like God's special time. So they wanted to do that with the, they named that for the Kairos prison ministry because they're taking us out of prison for three days. Where are you going if they're taking you out of prison? To the chapel. Oh, okay. I mean, the the draw though was food. Mm. <laughs> like they fed you from the time you got there until the time you left. So did you just go in the morning and then go back? At you had to time? go. You had to go sleep in your cell at night. But you were right. there literally for three days, the whole you know fourteen hours, whatever that is. And they bring in like there's like twelve tables. Every table has three or four free world leaders, and basically they're just loving on you. That's all they're doing. And there, there's like little spiritual exercises. They share the gospel and, and stuff like that. But it's not religious. They're not coming at you. They're not telling you that you're a sinner and you're going to hell and, you know, God hates you because you're a criminal. And it's a beautiful thing that's, that goes on in the prison. But you have to be chosen to go to a Cairo. That was actually my next question. Like, how did they choose who got to go to this thing? Well... Remember I talked about Chaplain Lindsay and the chapel workers? Yeah. They ran that. Okay. <laughs> so you had to have some kind of in with them. Like they chose who went. And how many guys got to go at a time? Uh, I think it was like, don't quote me. I could I can fact check this later. I've got my picture from my Kairos weekend. Um, uh, Like 40 maybe. Okay. 30, 40. But then you'd have the same amount of, of free will guys. And okay. They were, and they, 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 had the, they had these ladies outside the prison in a church somewhere, just cooking all day long, cooking, cooking, cooking. You go in, you got breakfast, and you got cookies. And they were famous for the cookies because they, the cookies just, there was a bowl in the middle of the table. Y'all can't see this. He's he's doing cookies like he's throwing a Frisbee. Like over oh, there. Man, just, the cookies just kept coming. It was coming, like cookies coming, for coming. days. The cookies, <laughs> the cookies on a Cairo's weekend were so good that the chapel workers would take the bowls where they put the cookies in the middle of the table, and they would save the crumbs. <laughs> I'm serious. What made them so good? We didn't have nothing at, at uh, Donaldson. We didn't have nothing. Even the commissary didn't even have anything good to eat. Yeah. It was just like you were just, it was like bread and water and meat patties. You know how these old ladies who were like master chefs, oh, basically. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the food. food. No, but you know, like when you're on a diet, like, and you don't eat something for a long time, and then when you get it, it tastes so good. Yeah. Think of that times years. Yeah. You know, so it's been years since you've had a real good like a homemade cookie right or meal Man. all of it but the, yeah. the Kairos prison ministry is amazing but there's a lot that goes into that they do it twice a year and then after you go you can only go through Kairos once and then if you're a chapel worker you go through all of them because that's what they got to do <laughs> but um you you could only go through it once and after that you you like once you completed it then they came in every Wednesday morning and had a little like a little small group thing that you could go to. And then I think once or twice a year they would do some kind of little, they call it a reunion or something. So this was the best thing going at Donaldson Correctional. It was kind of like a camp. It reminds me if you said like they had a little reunion, like yeah, to relive the memories. Well, then you remember your, they told you, they tell you you'll remember your number. And so I was like, I'm not going to remember that number. But this has been 1998 was when I did mine. I'll never forget, I'm James K. Jones, Cairo's number 27, Donaldson Correctional Facility. So I was the 27th Cairo's thing. Like, you got a number. Oh, the 27th. So when they go in to do this thing, that's the 27th time they've gone in there to do it? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. So, no, no like, if, I, if I met them now, and I've went back and did some of that. I don't want to yeah. get lost in this. But, like, when you greet them, I'm, I'm James, Cairo's number 27, Donaldson Correctional Facility. Okay. And that's how you, like, identify. It's pretty neat. It's, it's, it's very neat what they do. But they were gaining a lot of influence with the administration and with the chaplain because there were so many different people coming in. And Chaplain Lindsay was like a politician. Like, they built him a new chapel. They would buy him speakers and chairs. And, you know, I had a, a friend of mine <laughs> that uh, is a pastor. He told Chaplain Lindsay one time, like, this is the only prison in the world that you have to pay to come into. Like, <laughs> usually they welcome you to come in. You want us to give you some chairs to get in here. But, I mean, that was – he was, you know, there's not a budget for that in Alabama. So he right. he, he played the game pretty well. But uh, they decided – that they wanted to have a Christian dorm, a Kairos dorm. Who's they? The Kairos people. Oh, okay. Because there were tons of them. I mean, there were, you know, probably a hundred of them at that time. So when you say the Kairos people, do you mean the prisoners who attended or the free will people? No, the free will people. Oh, okay. The people that put on the weekends. Okay. They they put a lot of pressure on that because that, this is a very violent prison. This right. Is, this is bad. And so... They would, uh, there's one story of a guy that went through a Cairo's weekend and had an experience with Jesus. And then he, he had a, like a lover, like a homosexual lover. And when he got out of his Cairo's weekend, had an experience with Jesus and told his lover that he was a Jesus follower, he killed him. So, I mean, what? yeah, I mean, this was a violent place. It's still a violent place. He killed him? Yeah, people die all the time at Dawson. Golly. Remember me telling you when I first got there, and they told me what they want, what you want to do with my body. Oh yeah, it was a that's a real thing. That's it's it is everything you saw in the movies and feared was there at Dawson, and wow. that was. But anyways, these people want to start a Christian dorm, and they kept they had been like hammering and beating and begging and pleading and trying and all that stuff. I. Was not in. I thought that was the stupidest thing in the world because the 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 Christian Brotherhood, right? All they, they did was fight. It. I mean, all they did was fight. They would fight over, you know, Melchizedek and just just stupid stuff. They would find in the Bible and they fight over it. And was Jesus black or was he Chinese or was he white or was he this? And I, I couldn't see how that could work. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no uh, there's no way you can put all those people together because. They don't even, like, you go out to the chapel, and then they would get in fights. That, like, not physical fights, but, like, fights with their words. Kind of like what people do now on social media where they go back and forth and uh, they just yeah. needle <laughs> and pick and come yeah. up with it, you know, and say this, say that. They would, uh, <laughs> some of the funniest ones I ever saw, the, the, the way the Christians would get in a fight was they would say, brother, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And then the other brother would say, no, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Well, I bind you in the name of Jesus, and I render you harmless and ineffective against me. And then they would go back and forth, back and forth. Oh, and it's my like, gosh. I can't, I'm not into all that. I just, I, I'm, that's not, I ain't doing all that. I love Jesus. I love the word. I'm ready. So you couldn't see the Christian dorm. Were they able to make it happen? I couldn't see it. But it was like, it was a big buzz. But so for a time, there was, me and Chris were studying the scriptures. He had got a hold of this thing where if you believe something, it can happen. 
So he believed that he was going to make parole. And his first parole date was coming up in 1998. So I thought he was crazy. I told him, yeah, bro, you ain't going to make parole. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, you don't make 99% of the time you don't make it on your first go anyways. But because of all of his escapes and all the trouble he had been and all the things that he had done, there ain't no way. Right. Okay. When you say make parole, does that mean he's going to get out? All right. Let's explain parole. Yeah. Or when you say he's going to make parole. Okay. In Florida, they didn't have parole. You finish your sentence. Okay. In Alabama, there's a, a board of pardons and paroles. So if you get sentenced to, say, a 10-year sentence, I think Chris had a 25-year sentence. So you get a parole date. That means it's usually some years in. So he he was like four or five years in, and he got a parole date. So you go up for parole, and they put you in front of the parole board. That's in Montgomery. And they read off your charges, and then if you have any victims, they get to say either he should get out or he should not get out. And then you have people that go down there for you and, or your family can go, anybody can go to your parole. It's a, it's a hearing. Yeah. And that, you know, I've, I've went for a couple guys. It's scary, but it's basically, if you have, say you have a 20 year sentence and you've served, you know, three quarters of that or half, half, whatever it is, when you make parole, you still have that sentence. You're still, you're still sentenced, but they let you out. And then you have a parole officer, and you can, you know, basically finish your time out in the in the free world. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. So it's similar to probation, but not because you, you belong to them. If you make parole, you belong to your parole officer. If your parole officer wants to come in your house, if he wants to come to your job, they can lock you up anytime they want to and send you right back to prison. Right. Okay. So parole is scary, but... But you're still out. You're out, yeah. Okay. Um, and we'll get into that when, when I get closer to getting out, because yeah. I may parole. Okay. So so Chris has had his first parole date. He thought he was believing it. He was you were believing, like, no way, bro. He was, no, I was trying to encourage him. You know, I oh, was yeah. trying to encourage him, but yeah. I was like, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I mean, just because of his, I read his, his like, charges. Like, that's pretty bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. you don't do stuff like that and then expect us to trust you to go, you know, cause right. it's, it's not going to work out well for you, but he was believing that. And he was just into that, like, you know, and studying and doing and all the things. And then, um, Glover, he was trying to learn like the scriptures and stuff like we would spend a lot of time studying, but he taught us like the old African-American hymns. Cause he grew up in church mm-hmm. and, we used to sing like, oh man, I just sing the paint off the walls. Yeah, but it was good. It was um, it was all we had, and we would get together. So, what's something you sang? Sing it. Go now. <laughs> Usually, when I start singing, people tell me to stop. Well, I'll tell you to stop after like one line or so. I had one song that I sang. Okay. So, <laughs> what was it? But Glover would always say. <laughs> He was he was silly. He would always say, Brother James gonna get out and have a ministry and you know every every good minister have at least one song. At least one song. That's your song, brother. Can't nobody else sing that song but Brother James. 
The song was called uh, He's an On Time God. <laughs> you got to sing some of it. I'm embarrassed. Uh, well, it's just me here. Well, well, see, but I would sing the song, and then there would be somebody that would snap their fingers, like snapping, and then Brother Glover, we called him Brother Love, he would go, ba-doop, 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 doop Okay, I'll snap my fingers and you sing. Okay. Okay. This is awkward, baby. <laughs> Okay, okay, go. He's an on time God. Yes, he is. Oh, on time God. Yes, he is. Job said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on time God. Yes, he is. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And then there's a lot. There's a lot of that went to it, but we actually added our own. We made up an ending to that. Um, it was one of them was you can ask the children of Israel trapped up at the Red Sea by that mean old Pharaoh and his army. <laughs> they had water all around them, and Pharaoh on the track. Oh yeah. But out of nowhere, God stepped in and made a highway just like that. <laughs> Let me tell you, he's an on-time guy. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> but we added an end to that. There was an uh, inmate named Ricardo Cook who had a, uh, he was on death row. He got saved in a Kairos. They did a Kairos on death row. Somehow he got his de- uh, death sentence converted into a life without parole sentence. Mm-hmm. And then somehow he got it converted into a life sentence and he made parole. And, you know, wow. amazing story. But he was our hero. Like, he came in. He was our, he was the one. So we So added, he went from, like, death row to life without parole, and then he made parole to actually get out. He went from death row to life without parole to a life sentence. Oh. Life sentence you can make parole on. Okay. And then, but you'll just be on parole for life. Yeah. Um, and then he made parole and got out. And then he started a church, and he's been in Birmingham now for about 30 years. So the song. I think you've met Ricardo. I think, yeah, I think I have too, actually. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. So what did you, what of the song did you make up for him, you said? We did an an addition to it, because there was like four, you can ask Paul and Silas, you can ask the 5,000 that Jesus fed, or you can ask Ricardo Cook, (laughs) trapped up on the death row, (laughs) by the state of Alabama, with no chance of making parole. Keep going. Uh, was there more to it? There's too much. I don't want to be. This is not a singing we gotta podcast. Hear, I know, but we got to hear the end of Ricardo's. Ricky Ricardo. Not Ricky. Oh, not Ricardo. Ricky Ricardo. Ricardo Cook. Ricardo Cook. Just finish. Ricardo Cook. Yeah. Dropped upon the death row by the state of Alabama. Oh, no one to make parole. No way to make parole. I can't remember what it was now. I can't but, remember. But then name. you just, we can just jump to. But that God He's had an a plan. on-time God. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, Ricardo gave us a lot of hope. His story gave us a lot of hope. Yeah. It was good. Awesome. But uh, Glover, he was silly. Like, he was, it's uh, uh, like in his 40s, so he was like double my age. But he was like a little kid that found Jesus and just was just, he was, he would believe I remember he was complaining to me one time about, you know, he didn't have no money. Nobody sent him any money. And I said, well, go give something away. Be nice to somebody else. Be a, and he was like, no, brother, I ain't finna get ready to do that. <laughs> and um, he came back like three hours later, was crying, weeping. And I said, what's the matter with you? He said, remember you told me to give something away? And I said, 
yeah. I mean, I wasn't really like trying to tell you what to do. I was just giving some advice. And he said, I got back in my cell and I felt like the spirit of the law told me to give away my hair grease. <laughs> is, is hair grease? Hair grease. And I only, I only have, you know, it was brand new, but it was the only one I had. It was the only thing I got. And he gave it away. He gave it to somebody. And then somebody came along and gave him a bag or something. And so he was just like weeping. And I was like, and I told you to do that. <laughs> I, I said do that. But it wasn't that I was uh, like trying to instruct him or telling him what to do. I was just tired of hearing him complain. Like <laughs> do something else. But uh, Glover and I, we, he, I, don't wanna, I guess he influenced me in a good way, but he would do stupid stuff that I would never do. So we were in a chapel service. It was packed. It was a, the Sunday chapel service was always packed. And this group came in, and the man was up there, and he had on a neck brace. And he was explaining that something, he was in an accident, he hurt his neck. And we're sitting, we're like middle of the chapel back, sitting there. And the guy was talking, and Glover leaned over to me, and he said, I feel like the Spirit of the Lord told me I'm supposed to pray for that man. And I said, really? I said, I, I, I thought the same thing. But I was saying, like, Jesus, please help the man with his neck. Like you were going to do it in your seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quietly. He stood up in the middle of the chapel service and said, excuse me, brother, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, brother, excuse me. We know that the Lord sent y'all in here to be a blessing to us, but we just want you to know that we can be a blessing to you because we's a blessing too because we's the church here. <laughs> And me and my brother James want to come pray for you. And I was like, you know, I was like, no. You were like, no, I've already prayed no, for him. No, 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 I no, see no, quietly. No, don't, don't, don't do that to me. But the guy invited us up there to pray for him. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, how did you get me into this? And, you know, because it's packed. And there's yeah. all these free world people. And then they got these two little struggling inmates <laughs> struggling up there. And we, but we prayed for him. And it was amazing. I, I don't know that I've ever prayed for for anybody and felt like God's presence like it was that day. And we went back and sat down and he took his neck brace off. <laughs> and, but I would have never done that. I mean, I wish I was more like that, but Glover would do anything if he, he felt like it was what he was supposed to do or what Jesus wanted him to do. He would go do it. And, um, but the guy actually left his neck brace in the chapel. Oh, it was crazy. That's that was awesome. Crazy. And then like, um, it was always something. Okay, him. before you go any further, we never finished what? when Chris went up for parole. And what happened? Did he get parole? Did he not? Let's talk about that in the next episode. What? That's such a cliffhanger. Well, he didn't. Okay, we can wait. Let's wait. Let's wait to see what <laughs> okay. happens. Because there was a lot that happened between us Okay. after that. Okay. So there was one the 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 Kairos people were doing this Christian dorm Christian dorm Christian dorm Christian dorm thing and it was a buzz and you know I'm I'm not doing that so I'm I'm praying trying to figure out what's next for me you know we were having the three of they called us the three musketeers cuz you had you know like I was a little skinny white boy and then Chris was uh he lifted weight so he had like that was his strategy he was going to have big muscles so people would mess with him he was buff he was what? Buff. Buff. Was that? Isn't mean? that the right word? Like if you're 
buff. <laughs> like you, you have muscles. Isn't that what that means? You might. I would not say that about another man. <laughs> okay. Hey, bro. I'll look, look at, that up. You're looking mighty buff. Uh, he, all he did was work out. So you had me, you had him. They called him Lionheart because he did look like a little lion. And then Glover was like six foot four, big black guy, older man. And none of us matched each other. But we had one thing in common, and that was that we'd had an experience with Jesus, and God was doing his thing in our life. So um, there was a morning, but they still lived on the, they were still in the drug program side. I was on the other side by myself, so they would come over three or four hours a day, and it got more, like they would come over more, but I couldn't go over. Like, I wasn't allowed on the other side, but they were allowed on my side. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So yeah. I always had to wait on them to come over. Chris came in uh, right after breakfast one morning. No, it couldn't have been breakfast. They Did I tell you they fed breakfast there at 2.30 in the morning? Yeah, you did. You said that. <laughs> it was one thing when you're in lockup to get breakfast in the middle of the night, but when you were in population, they woke you up and you had to walk down to the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you had to get up in the middle of the night and walk down, eat breakfast, and come back. And you had to eat it because you That's were hungry. Crazy. He came. It was. I know it was early in the morning because I was still like trying to wake up. He was like, "They did it! They did it! They did it!" And I was like, "They did what? They got they got us a dorm." And I was like, "Who?" He was like, "The Kairos people." So I said, I, "Good. That's great for y'all. I'm not doing that." He's like, "No, no. I put your name on the list, and they're moving us right now. You're, they're fixing to call your name." What? And I was like, "I, I I'm not living in. I'm not." I'm not doing that. And he said, well, me and Glover are going. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm going. I mean, I, the only reason I went was because they went. Mm-hmm. And they were going to leave me. And I didn't, you know, whatever was happening to me during that time, I still had, like, PTSD. Oh, yeah. I actually Googled that and looked that up the other day, P- PTSD. Because after we taped the last two episodes, like, I've been depressed, like, yeah, bothered. But I did. I mean, what does that stand for? Post-traumatic stress syndrome? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 was still, I was still in a bad place. And just, like, mentally, and I was still scared. Like, you know, the same things that happened to me when I got there could still happen to me again. So accepting the next, like, whatever's next, and it was just... Uh, it was hard, but because they were my only people that I was really like connected to and they were my friends at that time, they were my best friends. Mm-hmm. They were leaving me. So I went with them. And so, that's, that's, so they called your name and we packed our stuff and moved down the three block. Wow. But we'll probably, we'll probably want to pause that here and talk about that next. Cause that was a whole nother experience. I'll tell you all about it and how I realized that was the plan that Jesus had for me. All along. It's exciting. So next time we're going to hear if Chris eventually got parole or that first time you moving to this new Christian dorm. Well, in in process, they realized that they couldn't, there's no way to have a Christian dorm. So if you have a Christian dorm, then the Muslims are going to want to have a Muslim dorm. Right, right. And so they came back and said, we can do this like the Kairos people want them to do it. But we're going to have to figure out a way to finagle it. So it ended up being only 12 of us said yes. Wow. That went to that dorm. So they put us in a violent block of 96 men, 
12 of us to start this thing. And it wasn't easy, but it was an experience that I'll never forget. And it has affected the Alabama Department of Corrections up to this day. That's awesome. What we went through. Quick question before we move on, if you can answer. Are you still in touch with Chris? Uh, We've lost touch now. He lives out. Actually, I don't know where he is now. But Chris Townsend, and do you know if he's in prison still? No, uh, uh-uh, okay. no, no. He, uh, yeah, okay. No, he would. He when he got out, he was addicted to like ministry. Like he wanted to do ministry, like go around and talk and do all that. Addicted to ministry. That's probably something we're gonna have to unpack later <laughs> at a at a future on a future. Episode. That might be that might be one we could put on the for real real. Yeah. I mean, there are people. I mean, we know people that all they want to do is go to church and go to meetings, and then they don't wash their dishes. <laughs> are you talking about me? No. <laughs> no. I would never let you get that far out there. No, but anything you can, Jesus is wherever I am because he's in me. So it's like, you don't have to follow all these, you know, I'm part of my church. The local church is the hope of the world. But like when you get into like these big ministries, then people start following them all over the place. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Well, let's. We'll pause that there. I'm very excited to hear about this next. It was, it's, it, it was a miracle of what happened, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. But we found out later that the administration there were like, give these Kairos people a Christian dorm so that it'll fail, and they'll quit bugging us about that. Let them go do it. Just let them do whatever, but it's not going to work, so just let them do it so it'll fail so they can shut up. But it didn't fail. So that's a good All right. Well, I can't wait. Can't wait? Yeah, I did the next episode because I didn't even like several things we've talked about. I did not know, you know, until what? Well, like the Chris thing and uh, Chris Townsend and the Dominic Glover and that that's how because truth be told, he James, I'm telling you guys now, <laughs> sings that song in our home. And like since we got married, that's my song. That's his, <laughs> that's his song. And so like several times when things happen or we're waiting or maybe things don't turn out the way he's we want them to, <laughs> and we sing. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> we sing it. Your mom used to love. She would ask me to sing. I'd be like, Mama Lou. No, just 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 give me a little, just give me a little taste. Well, because all the verses are really neat too, because it brings out like stories from the Bible and then stories mm-hmm. from the guys in prison. You know, like that you said, like Ricky Ricardo. I call him Ricky Ricardo, but Ricardo he's Cook. Ricardo Cook. Yeah. Um. You know, you added all those verses with stories, which is a really neat thing. So, I mean, that how that song came to be, I guess, your song, and then also just you. I didn't make up the song. No, that's a, that's a. Uh... That's a, a gospel hymn, like okay. a, an African-American gospel hymn. Okay. Well, yeah, I know you didn't make it up, but yeah. But we added to it. We um, added a lot of verses to it. And then also just the, the I guess, the backstory and the leading into the Christian dorm. Like the, because I've heard, you know, tidbits of after, which I know you're going to share. Yeah. But like just leading into like how that really came to be and it, how you got there. It was a, it was a miracle. It was amazing. And... On the other side of it, when it got good, people started taking credit for it. I mean, even up to last year, I'm not going to say who I was in a meeting with, but I was in a meeting with somebody who was a volunteer at that time who said he started it. And this was in a group of like, I think it was a lawyer or something that was interviewing us. And I said, you did? No. I said, inmate started that. And he was like, no, no, I was part of a committee. And I was like, no, bro. 
I'm not gonna let you. Take but here's credit. the deal: but that you only said yes to going because because um, of Kristen Glover. Yeah, because Kristen Glover. I would have never time. even attempted to be a part of a Christian dorm. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I went was because they went, and the good part of that though, when we got there and realized there were only twelve of us moving in was that most of the mean religious people, they chose not to go too. So we were in a good place. Well, next week. Here we go. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we have started like the first for real, real on the subscription part of our podcast. And that has been so fun and loving the feedback. Keep it coming. Check it out. Thanks, guys. See See you soon. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. For more exclusive content, head over to our website, teamjones.co slash podcast. Yes, you can subscribe by clicking on the Become a Patron button, and that's going to get you access to our For Real Reel, which is very different than the Highlight Reel. Some very juicy content there. Good stuff. Or you can look us up on Facebook and Instagram, Straight Out of Prison Podcast. Yes, that takes the story to a whole new level where you can see some of the people that James talks about in his story and see some of the places that he's been. I've been loving it, and you will too. Prison recipes. Yeah, all the things. (laughs) Good stuff. We'll see you soon, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. It's written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. 
Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If, if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at hollandhcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to chefjameskjones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. 